take a deep dive into some of what we're saying today. Today we take a very deep dive into speeches given last week by DOJ Principal Assistant Attorney General Trevor McFadden on the FCPA and the current rationale for FCPA enforcement, the corporate response, and DOJ enforcement of the FCPA rules. McFadden had some very interesting remarks. Matt and I take a very interesting deep dive into the conversation, which I think you will find fascinating. This is Tom Fox. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'm back with you for another episode of Compliance Into the Weeds with my good friend and colleague, Matt Kelly, founder of Radical Compliance. Matt, welcome. Hello, Tom. It's always good to be here. Matt, we had uh, two speeches this week by uh, Principal Deputy Assistant Attorney General Trevor McFadden, where he talked about the FCPA. Uh, you wrote a blog about it entitled Top FCPA Cop Speaks Again on the FCPA. And uh, I thought uh, he gave a lot of meat for the compliance practitioner to consider and certainly for pontificators such as ourselves to uh, go into the weeds on. So, um, uh, you and I think may, uh, we may have a little bit different uh, perspective because I noted in uh, the first sentence of the second paragraph of your post, you indicated his comments were both reassuring and frustrating. So why don't you lead off on what was reassuring to you and what was frustrating to you? Well, you know, I, how do I put this well? I, I'm very glad that Trevor McFadden is out there speaking publicly about the FCPA, and I do appreciate the uh, general tenor of the text of all of his remarks. And this is the third or fourth time, I think, that he has given a speech on the FCPA. And basically, he has said that enforcement will continue. Good. Um, he does seem to suggest various times in various ways that they will be focusing more on prosecuting individuals rather than companies. Um, I think that is fine, and I also think many compliance officers and general counsels would probably be very appreciative of that, that they would rather avoid big monetary penalties, and if the price of doing that is to cooperate and then turn over all evidence to uh, route out some wrongdoers you probably don't want on your payroll anyway, so yeah, hey, man, everybody loves that. Um, what is starting to give me pause is that I am wondering when we will see any actual meat on the bones of these speeches. Uh, will we see an actual declination to prosecute? Will we see a deferred prosecution agreement which might run counter to what people had ex been expecting? Uh, will we see any sort of actual concrete action that people can then hang their hat on as um, real hard evidence that this administration has uh, decided, you know, as an action plan that it's actually going to start acting on. Um, the speeches are great, and at a theoretical level, they're saying all the things that I think the compliance community would like, but where is the action? And we haven't seen any yet. So that's where I start to get a little bit frustrated. So um, I maybe took my thoughts in a little bit different direction because, mm -hmm. uh, first of all, uh, I thought the two speeches together really uh, put together a lot of different uh, comments we've heard from the uh, 
Department of Justice over the past several years, but put them together really in a coherent speech that I really applauded. And particularly the first one, which was uh, delivered in Washington at the um, 10th Annual Compliance Summit put on by ACES on anti-corruption, export controls, and sanctions. And in it, he started uh, his remarks talking about corporate social responsibility. And that's mm -hmm. really not something I had seen the Department of Justice address uh, in any sort of depth before. So I was very gratified to um, see him talk about CSR and that CSR means a company's, uh, company must reject bribery as a uh, tool to, to get ahead, as a business tactic. And then moving from there, uh, he articulated several reasons why uh, corruption is really antithetical to a current or a modern business model, not simply um, in the traditional fight against terrorism, although he did highlight that, but really as a, a, a business negative that corruption uh, disrupts markets. It puts players uh, in place who do not deliver the best product or services for the foreign companies or foreign countries, rather. He uh, talked about the um, uh, payment of legitimate expenses that should have gone to the government, lining the pockets of foreign government officials, uh, the unfair playing field, um, that there was not a transparent marketplace. And once again, while I have heard those things over the years, I've not heard them put together by a Department of Justice official. So it, I really uh, focused on that because uh, I thought it, it – it showed the evolution of the thinking about the reason we have a Foreign Corrupt Practices Act from when it was first enacted 40 years ago, uh, simply as a, 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 which many people viewed as a morality play, but also as a way for U.S. companies to have a business differentiator. Now we're talking about a global integrated marketplace in an international uh, fight against corruption overlaid with the uh, fight against terrorism, bringing all of these concepts into 2017 to show how a law uh, and uh, statute enacted 40 years ago can evolve to something, if not quite different than what it was, certainly with a, a little bit of a different focus. So that was really uh, one thing that struck me about uh, the difference in this speech and what I'd heard from others. Then. You know, Oh, I, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I, I would just call out, I think you make an excellent point about how McFadden connected it to corporate sustainability. And I, I do think that we sometimes lose sight of why are we supposed to be doing this? Because corruption is bad and it makes people in impoverished parts of the world languish further in poverty and suffer. And sure, that's a bit of a morality high horse, but there isn't anything wrong with sitting on that high horse from time to time. Uh, I did appreciate that he brought that up, and it is a good thing, and it shows that uh, there's a certain understanding of the moral imperative here. I really did like that point. But uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt your second point. Um, even talked about bribery as destructive internally to a company because it shows that by hard work, or getting ahead, uh, you're, you're not going to get ahead or succeed in your business, in your company, in your company hierarchy by playing by the rules. So I was even sort of intrigued by that. But then he moved to um, really an interesting set of, of thoughts, starting with a line, we recognize companies with good intentions can make mistakes. That said, compliance requires more than good intentions. Uh, you must have uh, compliance policies and procedures that go beyond, quote, ink on paper. Um, mm -hmm. 
now he didn't talk about the uh, February release of the uh, evaluation of corporate compliance documents, but that to me is pretty clear talking about the operationalization of compliance. You actually have to put compliance into the business, and he gave a couple of general examples, but this really led me to, to, to hear him talk about the um, operationalization of compliance. You actually have to do compliance and some of the concepts of a compliance program, which um, uh, I think are really important for the compliance practitioner to be able to use when they talk to management and says, here's what the Department of Justice is saying. When they say top management must set an example, here's what they said in black and white, and here's what they mean, and here's why I'm asking you to do these things. Obviously, there are much broader examples within the 2012 FCPA guidance, once again in the February evaluation document, but uh, here he talks about the importance of an active compliance program that's living and breathing, that your company is actually doing compliance uh, going forward. So uh, to me, that was, I thought, significant from the compliance practitioner's um, perspective. He then turned to more direct uh, FCPA enforcement by the Department of Justice, and he talked about the internationalization of FCPA, excuse me, uh, before I get to the internationalization, he talked about the increase in enforcement, and then he talked about the uh, pilot program and how the Department of Justice is really striving with uh, companies he even used the term uh, as business partners to bring greater transparency to the process because the goal is not to prosecute, but the goal, our goal is for companies and individuals to voluntarily comply with the law. And that's very different than saying our goal is to prosecute wrongdoers. Clearly, that's a part of a prosecutor's job. But here, I thought he was very interestingly moving to setting a um, maybe a different uh, decision-making calculus for companies recognizing that they uh, have a stake in this with the Department of Justice going forward. That led to – go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I agree with everything you say here, but it is just at a theoretical level, and I would like to see some sort of resolution that we can all look at to see if this is really the case. And the other thing that sticks out to me now is, yes, we've heard Trevor McFadden speak several times about the FCPA, and he's saying all the right things, but we haven't heard anybody else really talk about FCPA enforcement yet. So like what he says here, I think it's great, and you think it's great, but really what's important is whether Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, does he think it's great? And uh, we haven't heard him say that yet. We need to see if the deputy attorney general thinks this is great. We don't even have one confirmed yet. Um, I know I'm putting McFadden in a bit of an unfair position because there isn't anybody else at the department who actually is on the job to talk about this yet. Uh, but that's where I keep coming back to is, uh, you, come on, we've got cases in the pipeline that I think that if they just wanted to you know, show some sort of a sign, they probably could. And they haven't shown signs along these lines yet, unless I've missed something. But that's where my head keeps going. Well, I guess that part doesn't surprise me, uh, given the uh, chaos we've seen in uh, the administration and getting people yeah. in place um, and putting um, 
the Sessions and his team in place. But as to the, the point on Sessions in the second speech he gave this week, he focused, uh, I thought, directly on Sessions in terms of the internationalization of FCPA enforcement. And he specifically noted that Sessions had met with uh, four uh, attorneys, uh, equivalent attorney generals or equivalent people from uh, foreign countries, and they talked about um, FCPA and anti-corruption efforts uh, going forward on an international basis, both in investigations and prosecutions, and that not only does the Department of Justice receive information from foreign governments, but the Department of Justice also shares information, and that when appropriate, uh, the Department of Justice would would, uh, um, work with foreign government to have that foreign government lead prosecutions, and we certainly saw that uh, beginning uh, last year as well. And I think that really speaks to some of the things that um, both the DOJ and SEC have done over the years to uh, bring prosecutors from other countries in, uh, bring them up to speed on investigative and prosecutorial techniques and white-collar and corruption actions, and that we will see greater internationalization of the fight against bribery and corruption. And I think that's something that uh, Jeff Sessions uh, will support. And I would note that I think you're going to hear Jeff Sessions speak this week or next week, I should say, in Washington. So maybe he'll have some uh, words uh, that you could uh, talk about from him. That That is something that I called out in my blog post I wrote about McFadden's speech. And I wrote mostly about his first speech earlier in the week. But yes, for anybody listening, Tom and I are talking on Friday, April 21st, and on Monday, April 24th, Jeff Sessions will be giving a speech at the Ethics and Compliance Institute's annual conference down in Washington. I'll be there, and I'll be taking notes. I am very curious to see what Sessions will say. Um, I can't imagine he won't talk about corporate compliance efforts somehow. It is a corporate compliance conference, but we'll see. And so uh, in, in the first speech uh, McFadden gave, he talked about uh, that the criminal division at the Department of Justice was not uh, aiming to prosecute every case it could. It recognized that the criminal uh, component of the FCPA requires an intent. Uh, but he said that uh, if there's not intent or there are other factors, that they would certainly uh, look at referring it over to the SEC for a civil side prosecution. And I Mm -hmm. thought that that was um, uh, an indication that – and it's something you hit upon uh, uh, that you've talked about before, but you also hit upon in your blog post where that – I think you even said kick it over to the SEC for a review of a corporate compliance program, for a review of the internal controls, the books and records, and non-intentional or non-criminal activity uh, prosecutions under the FCPA. Uh, finally, the um, the point he had on um, let's see if I can find it here of companies being business partners, the FCPA pilot program giving credit for meeting the prongs of the pilot program. This has uh, really um, got me thinking about what's going to be the responsibility of corporations going forward because. To speed up a FCPA investigation from years to months uh, mm-hmm. is going to require really a breakneck effort of speed in the investigation process. By definition, most of these investigations are outside the United States, 
if the if corporations want faster resolutions, that means I think they're going to have to deliver more accurate and better information right off the bat to the Department of Justice, uh, because simply getting information from overseas takes time. If the DOJ has to do it, they have to go through an elaborate bureaucratic process, government to government. If a company can get it uh, and present it to the uh, Department of Justice, that's going to speed things up quite a bit, all leading me to suggest that faster resolutions is really a two-edged sword. And that sword is if companies want the DOJ to come to some sort of resolution quicker, they're going to have to deliver a uh, quicker, more efficient investigation and remediation to the department during the pendency of the investigation. So we'll put even more pressure on compliance programs to not only uh, do it, get it right, but continually uh, monitor that going forward. And, you know, I agree with all of that. And this is where I start to, you know, like I said before, I wonder where are we going to see some proof? Because frankly, while I think that the Justice Department and the fraud section and McFadden probably are very well-meaning people, the very fact that Donald Trump and the Trump administration team and the West Wing, you know, that they're in charge of this, that's going to lead to some very cynical assumptions. And how are they going to counteract this? I could very easily, for example, sketch out where how do you get to a investigation that closes in months rather than years? Well, you self-report, you dump two tons of electronic information onto the fraud section. You say that uh, per the H memo, we threatened these people to cooperate or get fired, so they left. And here's all the documents, and that's that. Um, okay, they do a quick analytic search. They find no intent on the part of the company. That wraps up the criminal end, and then, you know, well, we know we need to look at your compliance. We know we need to do the remediation stuff. We might turn that into a books and records uh, civil enforcement by the SEC. We'll get to it when we get to it when we get to it. I'm not saying that's how it would happen, but I'm saying cynical people might wonder if that will happen. And there's a lot of reason to be cynical about the Trump administration as a whole. And we need to start seeing some non-cynical actions actually happening by people in the executive branch. And we haven't really seen much of that yet. Now, Part of it isn't their fault. You can't fault an SEC chairman for a slow-rolling FCPA when we don't have one yet because the Trump administration didn't even nominate one until it was so late that it still hasn't confirmed them. And you go on and on like this. But you know, I'm really curious, how do we condense these investigations to a closure point in months? And I do wonder if a resolution – by the Justice Department might mean that they still have some lingering internal control investigation with the SEC that might hang out alive for who knows how long. That might happen. We don't know. And at this point, I can imagine there are some compliance officers who are starting to drum their fingers on the table. Let's give us something a little bit more meat. And that's where I start to get cranky and frustrated about a lot. Well, I think on the, the last part of give us something uh, a little more meaty, my sense is that we will get something out of the uh, pilot program review that is ongoing, uh, yeah. whether that's an extension, whether it's made permanent, whether there's additional um, uh, incentives uh, given. But um, I'm, I'm really have come around to thinking that 
if it's something moves in that direction, which the business community applauds, there's going to be additional pressure put on the business community to deliver up that information to the Department of Justice to start the entire program moving forward. It's possible. Um, you know, I also look at questions just like simple manpower to reach these closure levels. Uh, the SEC has proposed a budget that's a cut. The Justice Department has proposed a cut to its department while beefing up enforcement of other matters. And are these budgets going to pass? Probably not. What will Congress actually do? Who knows? Um, and there's just so much uncertainty still about how you actually put these ideas into practice, which, like I've said, I like the ideas that McFadden's putting out. I think they're very reasonable, and I think a lot of compliance officers would too. But um, we'll just have to keep on waiting and seeing. And you know, I, I can start to see that that might get a little bit trying on the nerves. Well, I think it's going to be very interesting to see the series of talks uh, next week in yes. Washington, and I look forward to your reporting on that, Matt. All right. Well, Matt, this has been a, a really a lot of fun uh, going into the weeds on uh, the McFadden speeches, and uh, all I can suggest is the conversation will continue. Very true. Thank you, Tom. Thank you. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. If you've listened to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it rate us as it would help our rankings and help get the word out about this most unique podcast which goes into the weeds in order that no other compliance related podcast does. This is Tom Fox and I hope you will join us for the next episode of Compliance Into the Weeds. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.